guys, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this show as a free educational resource and you'd like to show your support, you can do so via Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding service that allows independent creators to get their work out into the world. If you donate as little as $1 a month, that's less than what you'd pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to exclusive episodes that are only available to contributors. The first patrons-only episode is a prequel to the episode on the word two. Now, that money doesn't go to a cigar-chomping CEO of some podcasting network. It doesn't go to a secret government agency. It goes directly toward the maintenance of this show. Just go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted to find out more. You can also find a link to Patreon on my website, wordsforgranted.com. And if you're looking for another independent humanities podcast to listen to, I'd like to recommend Jennifer Dazzle's Art Curious. Art Curious is a podcast that explores the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm only a few episodes in, but I'm really enjoying it and have already learned a lot. So if you're a fan of art, do yourself a favor and subscribe to Jennifer's show. Okay, on to today's episode. On January 20th, 2017, Donald J. Trump was inaugurated into office as the 45th president of the United States. Given the tremendous impact of the Trump administration both at home and abroad, I thought it would be a good idea to do a three or four episode miniseries that focuses on politically themed words. What better word to start with than inauguration? Now, before we get started, let me acknowledge that, yes, I know that a politically themed miniseries may sound dreadful to some of you, not necessarily because you're on one side or the other of the Trump presidency, but because you're just sick of politics overall. You're tired out from the election, you're tired out from your friends' political posts on social media, and you just want politics to disappear completely. I understand. But to others, a politically-themed miniseries may sound relevant and engaging. I asked my followers on social media what they thought of the idea, and there was a general, but not unanimous, expression of enthusiasm. So, here's my proposal. Let's get through today's episode, and at the end of it, you guys get to decide whether I should go forth with the miniseries idea or not. Majority rules. No bureaucracy, no electoral college, just a good old-fashioned, true, democratic vote. The email for the show is wordsforgranted at gmail.com, so please let me know what you think. Now, let's get on to the actual episode. According to its foremost definition... An inauguration is the formal introduction of someone into a new position of power. Inauguration can also be used in a more general sense to mean the formal introduction of something new, as in the inauguration of a new public museum. In an even more general and perhaps ironic sense, you might even use the word to describe the not-so-formal introduction of something new, as in the inauguration of a new coffee pot into your home. My roommates and I just inaugurated a new coffee pot last week. This is definitely stretching the meaning, but the meaning nonetheless gets across. Taken collectively, 
These modern definitions of the word might lead you to believe that the ultimate etymology of inaugurate has something to do with beginnings or introductions, but that isn't the case at all. As it turns out, the etymology of inaugurate actually derives from a two and a half thousand year old ritual that was practiced in ancient Rome. Inaugurate comes directly from the Latin verb inaugurare, but before we can define the meaning of inaugurare, we need to define the meaning of augur, the root word sandwiched in the middle of it. The word augur actually passed into English as augur, but unless you're a Roman history buff, you probably don't know what an augur is. So, in ancient Rome, an augur, or augur, was a type of religious official who interpreted the will of the gods based on signs in the natural world, particularly the flight patterns of birds. We actually talked about augurs back in the episode on the word sinister. So, if you haven't had enough of augury by the end of today's episode, I recommend going back and checking that one out as well. When determining whether an omen was good or bad, Augurs took into consideration things such as the direction in which birds were flying, the number of birds that were flying, the type of birds that were flying, the time of day at which birds were flying, and so on and so forth. This practice was known as taking the auspices. Today, the modern English sense of the word auspice usually refers to patronage or support, as in the auspices of the Department of Education. But According to older definitions, an auspice might be defined as a favorable sign or circumstance, or in more extreme terms, a divinely ordained sign. This older superstitious sense of the word is left over from its association with augury. The ritual of taking auspices also produced the modern English word auspicious, which nowadays means lucky or pointing toward a favorable outcome, but like auspice, it previously had a superstitious or uncanny connotation. Since the founding of Rome itself, in matters both public and private, no major decision was made without properly taking the auspices. Augurs occupied the most important position of religious power in pre-Christian Rome, and consequently, they wielded great political power as well. We'll talk more about the connection between augury and politics in a bit, but first, let's talk about etymology. Most classical scholars believed that augur was a compound word derived from avis, the Latin word for bird, and garire, the Latin verb for talk or chatter. If this etymology is correct, then augur literally means bird talker or one who talks to birds. It also means that augur and inaugurate are cognate with the modern English words aviation and avian, which come from avis, and garrulous, which comes from garire. Aviation means the operation of aircrafts, avian means bird-like, and garrulous means excessively talkative. It also would make augur and inaugurate cognate with the words auspice and auspicious, whose relevance to the overall language of augury we just discussed. Auspice and auspicious both derive from the Latin word auspicium, a compound word comprising avis, which again means bird, and specare, which means to watch or observe. However, modern etymologists have proposed that augur actually derives from the Latin word algere, meaning to increase. 
The idea behind this etymology is that if an augur interpreted a good omen, it would increase the fortunes of mankind. If this theory is correct, then augur literally means one who increases, and augur and inaugurate would in fact be cognate with the modern English words augment, auxiliary, and auction. Other theories propose that the aug in augur derives from a lost root word meaning to see, or that it was perhaps borrowed from the Etruscans, the Romans' ethno-linguistic neighbors on the Italian peninsula. Note that, whereas the first theory attributes the similarity between the words augur and auspice to a shared etymology, these other theories write this off as a coincidence. Regardless of which etymology is correct, the overall narrative of our story doesn't change, so you can decide for yourself which one you find most convincing. Okay, so now that we've covered some linguistic and cultural exposition, let's turn our attention back to the word inaugurare. Originally, inaugurare meant to practice augury, straightforward enough, or to consecrate by augury. For those of you who didn't go to Catholic school, to consecrate means to declare something sacred. As already stated, no major decisions in ancient Rome were made without taking the auspices. This especially applied to political, military, and civil decisions, so before a Roman leader decreed a military campaign or introduced a new tax, for example, they traditionally consulted with augurs to make sure their actions had the approval of the gods. Augurs were also consulted before new Roman leaders were sworn into office. This intimate relationship between politicians and augurs gave rise to the formalized ceremony known as the inauguratio, which is the word that would pass into modern English as inauguration. In his 1842 work, Dictionary of Greek and Roman Antiquities, William Smith defines the inauguratio as, quote, the general ceremony by which the augurs obtain the sanction of the gods to do something which has been decreed by man. It was in particular the ceremony by which things were consecrated to the gods. If the signs observed by the inaugurating priest were thought favorable, the decree of men had the sanction of the gods and the inauguratio was complete. End quote. Now, Obviously, there are some major cultural differences between the Roman inauguratio and the American presidential inauguration, but there are also some similarities. They're both formal ceremonies. They're both commencements of new beginnings. There's much more to be said about America's adoption of the term inauguration in reference to the commencement of the presidency, but we're not quite there yet. The word inauguration had been floating around in English for at least 200 years prior, so let's take a look at that development first. As Latin broke off into the Romance languages, these words passed into French as inaugurer and inauguration, and in the mid-16th century, they passed from French into English as inaugurate and inauguration. As always, please forgive my terrible pronunciation of French. The verb inaugurer meant to consecrate or to formally install, and the English word took on this same meaning. With the pagan practice of augury reduced to a long-dead ritual, the cultural implications of the Latin verb inaugurare were reworked to fit into the culture of early modern France and England. Inaugurations were not installations or consecrations by augury anymore, but by Christianity. 
To consecrate and to formally install seem like two distinct definitions, one holy, one secular, but at this point in history, it would be somewhat anachronistic to distinguish them as such. We're talking about societies so thoroughly saturated by Christianity that Christianity could be a synonym for society itself. What I'm getting at is that there wouldn't have been formal installations or ceremonies that didn't already have a Christian foundation. I think the following examples can help demonstrate what I mean. In 1558, John Knox, founder of the Scottish Presbyterian Church, wrote, quote, Nothing was he permitted to do to himself or to his children, either in his or their inauguration and sanctification to the priesthood, but all was committed to the care of Moses. End quote. And in 1587, English Protestant preacher John Prime wrote, quote, Likewise, it is termed an inunction, the anointing of God, whereby we are inaugurated and destrinated to an infallible inheritance certainly reserved in the hands of a strong keeper against that famous day of our redemption. End quote. See what I mean? Both quotations refer to new beginnings within the context of Christianity. The first is a literal reference to the rite of priesthood, and the second is a metaphorical reference to the rite of baptism. I'd like to parenthetically add that the cultural revision of religiously-oriented words, as seen here with inauguration, is actually quite common. We discussed this phenomenon at length back in the episode on the word weird. Even as one religion is replaced by another, words associated with the first religion are not always thrown out the window. Often, these words are adapted and redefined by the new religion. But when we use the word inauguration today, Religion isn't the first thing that comes to mind. I think I can speak on behalf of everyone and say that the first thing that comes to mind is politics or the presidency. So, where did that usage come from? In 1789, the United States used the term presidential inauguration to commence the presidency of George Washington, and it's the term we've used to commence presidencies ever since. Before America won its independence from England, the word used to commence the rule of a new leader was coronation, but the word coronation came with some heavy cultural baggage. It shares an etymological root with the word crown, and it's historically tied to the succession of kings and queens. As some of you probably know, coronations are still held for members of the British royal family when new successors take the crown. Since the whole point of America's revolution was to gain political independence from England's monarchy, it would have been a little hypocritical to coronate the nation's new leader. Instead, the new leader was inaugurated. Both culturally and linguistically, the word inauguration gave the commencement of the U.S. presidency a clean slate, or perhaps more accurately, a revived slate. To the Founding Fathers, the word inauguration would have been reminiscent of the glory of Rome. Wait, Rome? Didn't we already establish that the word's connections to Rome and augury and the inauguratio were long dead? Well, yes, but here's the thing. The American Founding Fathers were absolutely enamored with Rome, particularly the Roman Republic, and as a result, Many aspects of early American culture were inspired by classical Rome, like the Founding Fathers' pen names. Washington identified himself with Cato, Adams identified himself with Cicero, and Madison identified himself with Publius. 
Another example is the naming of Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. is an anglicized borrowing of Capitoline Hill, one of the seven hills of Rome and the site of the famous temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus. The list of Roman influences on the early American government goes on and on, but most relevant to us is the significance of Latin to the language of the nation's newly emerging government. Etymologically speaking, Latin is the foremost language of American governmental terms. Words such as republic, president, candidate, constitution, legislation, executive, judge, senate, and veto, to name just a few, are all derived from Latin, and given what we've just discussed, this isn't a coincidence, really. These words are sewn into the fabric of the American government, and their significance to our current narrative is more than etymological. Both the words themselves and the virtues contained within them are direct homages to Rome. If you ask me, it's very likely that the Founding Fathers applied the word inauguration to the presidential inauguration based on the role of the inauguratio in ancient Rome. Of course, there's no document out there that officially declares, we, the Founding Fathers of the United States of America, are choosing the word inauguration to commence each new presidency because that was the word for it in Latin and we all really love Rome and want to do things the way the Romans did. They actually didn't even refer to themselves as the Founding Fathers. But based on what we know about the early Americans' efforts to revive both the language and ideals and general aesthetic of the Roman Republic, a direct borrowing of the word inauguratio from its Roman context seems very plausible. They just removed the augury from the inauguration. Yet, with or without augury, presidential inaugurations still preserve at least some of the inauguratio's religious undertones. When a president swears his oath to office, he usually places his hand on the Bible. The ceremony is also accompanied by several extended prayers. I'm not going to get into a discussion about the contradiction that this poses to the separation of church and state, but at the very least, we can all agree that these practices demonstrably call upon the higher power of God, more specifically a Christian God, to help in the mortal undertaking of ruling a nation. When you highlight this aspect of the presidential inauguration, it basically is a Roman inauguratio that's been grafted onto a Christian worldview. But as juicy as that sounds, let's not fall into the temptation of overstatement. The role of religion in the presidential inauguration is more of a formal custom maintained by tradition than it is one of its central components. When the presidential inauguration is aired on television, it's not like we gather around the TV screens eagerly awaiting that divine and decisive moment when the president touches the Bible. I mean... Maybe some of you do, but I think most people view the oath as just another formality that's built into the ceremony. After its application to the presidency, the meaning of inauguration naturally began to expand. As we discussed at the start of today's episode, the general sense of the word can refer to any formal, and sometimes even not so formal, beginning or introduction. Like I said, my roommates and I inaugurated a new coffee pot into our home a few weeks ago. As we say goodbye for now, I'd like you to think about the tremendous semantic scope that this word has occupied over time. 2,000 years ago, the geopolitical fate of Rome could have rested on an auspicious inauguratio. 
it was a religious ritual deeply connected to the natural world. Certainly, some of this magnitude is preserved by the presidential inauguration, but as I've demonstrated, the meaning of the word can also be downplayed and relegated to a new coffee pot. Alright, that's it for this one, guys. Don't forget to follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. My Twitter username is at Words for Granted, and I'm on Facebook as Words for Granted. If you want to reach me directly, again, my email is wordsforgranted at gmail.com. If you love the show, please spread the word and leave a review on iTunes. Yes, I know it sounds petty, I say it every time, but those iTunes reviews are the number one way to get more people on board with the show, and I want to keep this thing rolling. All right, see you next time here at Words for Granted. Words for Granted.